Well, it is October, and October is not the month of Halloween. October is not the month of fall. Uh, I'm not anti-fall, but October is the month of Reformation. It's a month of Reformation. For in God's providence, Martin Luther in 1517, 504 years ago, took hammer and nail and his 95 theses, and he hung the theses on the door of the Roman Catholic Church in Wittenberg. And that is the formal kickoff of the Reformation. Now, we've got a week or two yet before the 31st, but I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready And since there are 1.3 billion Roman Catholics in the earth, we always, as a rule, take this time, usually several Sundays, to refocus on the Reformation, to refocus on the true gospel as opposed to the false gospel of Rome. Because there is a great antichrist system, a false satanic church alive and well in the earth. 504 years ago, the Reformation kicked off. But the game is not over. The war is not over. Rome is still alive and well in the earth. This very morning, precious families, men, women, children, have gotten up early, put on their Sunday best, and gotten out to eat the wafer and drink the cup that they believe is the body and the blood of Jesus, to bow down and worship the wafer that they believe to be Jesus, to bow down before various statues of Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and others, to pray to Mary, blaspheming Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and men, to commit various and sundry acts of idolatry and blasphemy from the time they go in the door to the time they leave. And they're doing this all over the earth. All over the earth this very day, and every day of the week, not just on the Lord's Day, every day of the week, priests audaciously put on their collars and supposedly call Jesus Christ, who has all authority over in heaven and earth, who is God of very gods, who finished his work to tell us die, bowed his head, gave up his spirit, ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father. They audaciously claim that they call him out of heaven, back down into that wafer, back down into that cup, to be re-crucified again in a non-bloody manner, to be eaten and drank for justification. It is heresy. It is blasphemy. It is evil. It is antichrist. It is soul damning. And it prevails in the earth. And the vast majority of what calls itself, of that which calls itself Christianity, evangelical Christianity, they have ceased warring against this great antichrist system of sacramental works righteousness. They have called off the war. They've called off the Reformation. And even more tragically, a great many who dare to call themselves Reformed, dare to call themselves Protestants, have stopped protesting the damning heresies of Rome, have stopped reforming, and have rather joined hands in unholy ecumenical union with the Roman Catholic Church and her priests, her sacraments, her idolatries, all that is antichrist that is Rome. And so, saints, our job is not over. Our job is not over. In your 
bulletin every week on the front, it says, here we stand. Here we stand. And that's a near quote of Martin Luther. Here I stand, he said, when they called him to repent of all his writings. And he said, I can't. My writings contain the scriptures. My writings contain the doctrines of God. My writings chiefly contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't recant them. Here I stand, he said at the Council of Worms, where they threatened his very life if he would not recant. And thankfully, he had friends that spirited him away and protected him from the death that would have come to him at the hands of Rome. But here we stand on these five precious solas and one simper, not whimper, simper, those five solas. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and in the simper, simper reformanda, always reforming. And without the simper reformanda, the first five are slowly left off, incrementally left off. We stop reforming and we start going apostate as a rule. As a rule, we've always got to let the Word of God bring us back to those fundamentals of the faith, to those fundamental doctrines, to those pillars of the Reformation. And so this week, we will do that once again. Next week, I'll be blessed to preach Solus Christus in southern Oregon in Pastor Brian Carver's pulpit. He's invited me down, and Elder Dale will bring the Word of God here. He's got a special message for you. You do not want to miss. While much of the church has squandered the gospel, much of the church has made peace with Rome, much of the church has called off the Reformation, even those who fly the flag of Reformed, Charles Spurgeon did not. Charles Spurgeon saw clearly what so many do not see today. And these quotes are on the inside right cover of your bulletin. Charles Spurgeon labored to light a Reformation fire in his day, and so must we in ours. 1.2 or 1.3 billion souls need us desperately to declare, define, and defend the gospel. And here's Charles Spurgeon, quote, False gods attempts to represent the true God, and indeed all material things which are worshipped are so much filth upon the face of the earth, whether they be crosses, crucifixes, virgins, wafers, relics, or even the Pope himself. We are by far too mealy-mouthed about these infamous abominations. Remember that term. Own it. Use it. These are infamous abominations. God abhors them, and so should we. To renounce the glory of spiritual worship for outward pomp and show is the height of folly and deserves to be treated as such. Elsewhere, Charles Spurgeon said, It is the bounden duty of every Christian to pray against Antichrist. And as to what Antichrist is, no sane man ought to raise a question. If it be not the popery in the church of Rome, there is nothing in the world that can be called by that name. If there were to be an issued a hue and cry for Antichrist, we should certainly take up this church on suspicion. And it would certainly not be let loose again. For it so exactly answers the description. Hear me, saints. There 
crucifixes, their virgin, their wafer, their relics, their pope, their priest are all anti-Christ. Do you love Christ? Then you hate that which is anti-Christ. I hate the Roman Catholic Church, and I say it without apology. I love Roman Catholics. That's part of why I hate the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Catholic Church is damning their souls. I love God. I love Jesus Christ, my Lord, my God, my Savior, and my King. That's why I hate that which is anti-Christ, that which blasphemes Him, that which leads people astray and away from Him to their destruction. I abhor it because God abhors it. I do not make peace with infamous abominations. I do not make peace with Antichrist. All that is Antichrist is at war with Christ my King. Thus I am at war with it. And so must every Christian be. One more quote from Charles Spurgeon. Popery, popery, even that word, that word, we dare not use such words. Popery. Well, that's, that's not gracious. Popery. Isn't that something you put in a dish (laughs) to make the air smell fine? No, popery is that which is in the church of Rome that makes the air foul. Popery is contrary to Christ's gospel and is the Antichrist. And we ought to pray against it. Is it not worthy of praying against a system that is against our king and damning 1.3 billion souls? Is it not worth actively training ourselves to engage the enemy and rescue the perishing? I mean, this is a vast portion of the Western world. It's a vast portion of the world. But when you consider the Western world, it is a vast portion of the Western world. Huge. Popery is contrary to Christ's gospel and is the Antichrist, and we ought to pray against it. It should be the daily prayer of every believer that Antichrist might be hurled like a millstone into the flood and for Christ, because it wounds Christ, because it robs Christ of his glory, because it puts sacramental efficacy in the place of his atonement and lifts a piece of bread into the place of the Savior and a few drops of water into the place of the Holy Ghost and puts a mere fallible man like ourselves up as the vicar of Christ on earth. If we pray against it, because it is against him, we shall love the persons, though we hate their errors. We shall love their souls, though we loathe and detest their dogmas. And so the breath and prayers will be sweetened because we turn our faces towards Christ when we pray. Some years ago, the Pope came to visit America. The Antichrist came to visit America. And I was blessed to be invited to go preach the gospel to the hundreds of thousands of Roman Catholics gathering to worship the Antichrist. Because they do truly worship their Pope. To worship Mary. To worship various idols. To worship the wafer. And I went with a crew of faithful men, valiant men, Sweet men, I love them. Who stood in the midst as a small little squad. An elite soldierly force for Christ. And then surrounded, surrounded by 
Hundreds of thousands of people. A sea of people in Philadelphia. They had shut down the entire city. No cars in or out. No traffic in or out. Only trains. There were FBI, ATF, police of every sort and kind. And hundreds of thousands, millions even, Roman Catholics. Every city block was person to person, body to body. And there we had one of the biggest amplifiers imaginable, (laughs) held high in the air for hour upon hour, preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And violence was threatened, our lives were threatened, sweet conversations were had, volatile conversations were had. Thousands of tracts went out. A great many non-Catholics who happened to be in the city heard the gospel, were thankful for the gospel. I had a beautiful interaction with a gangbanger in a wheelchair pulled by a pit bull. I shared the gospel with him. He interacted politely, and he said, I'm, I'm going to go. i got to go do something now. And, uh, and the way he said it, I thought, it's, it's not something good. And he left, and he had a buddy with him, another gangbanger. And then hours later, he came back, and he said, you know, I I wanted to tell you, I want to thank you. What I was about to go do, I didn't do because of our conversation. So I have no idea what happened to that gangbanger with his pit bull in the wheelchair, or what didn't happen, or where he's at now in light of eternity and the gospel. But it was a beautiful, glorious time. So many glories, so many providences, and this amazing protection. The Lord protected us through it all. But what was, what was so sad was the delusion, the Antichrist delusion on hundreds of thousands of precious souls and how committed they were to the worship of idols, to the worship of their Pope. And I'll never forget, I don't want you to ever forget, the reality They hate God. They hate Jesus. They are enemies of God and enemies of Christ. They worship an idol. Idolaters hate God. That's what Deuteronomy, excuse me, that's what Exodus 20 says. God says, idolaters hate me. And so the the response of tens of thousands of people, the response to the name of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, The response to Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men, but which you must be saved. Their immediate response, their continual response to that particular verse and to the name of Jesus was to cry out, Francis, 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 in place of and against the name of Jesus. And they did it consciously. Over and over and over again. And when they gave up their chant of Francis, 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 they reverted to a chant of Mary, Mary, Mary. And they held their idols of Mary high in the sky. Do you have the picture? Idols of Mary, much like the one you see there, only on a stick high up in the sky. For everyone to worship. Could you dim the lights, brother, over here? A little washed out, please. Now, this is not from Philadelphia. 
this picture on the wall you see here today. This is from Beaverton. This is from yesterday. Outside the Beaverton Planned Parenthood. And they set up their altar to Mary. They set up their pictures to Mary. They set up their idol with their rosary and their idol's hands and their flowers and their banner. And they all stood around praying to Mary and singing Mary's praises, worshiping her. Committing idolatry boldly in the light of day. How tragic to see such a display in Beaverton, Oregon a suburb of Portland. How sad to see it in Philadelphia. But you must know, this is Catholicism. It is idolatry at its heart. And when confronted with the name of Jesus versus their idols, they double down on their idolatry. Francis, Francis, Francis. And again and again, I preach to this group of 20-ish people week after week at that abortion clinic. And they only keep bringing more idols. They didn't have it this day, but they have Mary on a stick. But that's Mary, supposedly, on the banner. It says, years ago, Our Lady Fatima requested. And the Lady Fatima is Mary, who supposedly presented herself to three shepherd children. And she told the shepherd children to tell the church, the Catholic church, to pray the rosary. And you see there, they're at the abortion clinic with this banner that says, as human efforts fail to solve America's key problems, i.e., in that context, abortion, we turn to God. God who? Mary. Through His Holy Mother, asking His urgent help. We turn to God? Is that turning to God? That's turning to idols. Quite visibly, quite clearly. Pray the rosary, it says. And so I wanted to bring that to you to let you know that idolatry is alive and well. And 1.3 billion souls are on the way to hell beneath the idolatrous system of Rome that is an offense to Christ. Thus, it is an offense to us. For we love Christ and we love these precious souls perishing, perishing. Oh, they are sincere and they are sweet. As a rule, every now and again they get volatile and violent. But as a rule, they're sweet. But they are perishing under these doctrines of demons, this perversion of Christianity, this open idolatry. And it's my pleasure to preach to them. And I preach to them as a rule every week, bringing the Word of God to bear upon their hearts and minds. Let me share with you some of the prayers they are praying. The Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That's blasphemy, saints. Mary is not holy. When they say Holy Mary, they don't mean Mary was made holy through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. They mean Mary was born holy through immaculate conception. No, Mary was a sinner, like all sinners, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, like all sinners. And what I told them yesterday is Mary would tell you to stop worshiping me. Worship my 
Son, stop your blasphemy. Stop praying to me. Pray to the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I'm not holy. He is holy. Whatever holiness I have is His holiness imputed unto me as my sins were imputed to Him. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Mother of God. She's not the Mother of God. She is the Mother of Jesus, His Humanity, but not the mother of God. That is a serious elevation, a blasphemous elevation. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners. Again, when you ascribe the work of God to a human being, you are elevating them to deity. Pray for us sinners. Jesus is the one mediator between God and the man Christ Jesus. Mary cannot hear us. If she could, she'd say, shut your idolatrous mouths. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. At the hour of death? Oh, pray for me, Mary, at the hour of my death. Years ago, before I understood Rome fully, before I knew what was going to take place at a Roman Catholic funeral, I went to the funeral of a child because I'd been sharing the gospel with the child's parents and the child died tragically and they invited me to come and I went. I would not go today. I did not realize how blasphemous, how idolatrous it was, and that to be there, to be there is a compromise of the gospel. But it was astonishing and heartbreaking that Jesus was not lifted up. Mary was lifted up. And they did not hope that the child would be under the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, but be under the grace of God through the intercession of Mary. And they didn't commit the child to God, they committed the child to Mary. Mary has no power. She has no efficacious power, no saving power, no redemptive power, no mediatorial power. What a tragedy. Hail Mary, full of grace. She is not full of grace. She's a recipient of grace, not a giver of grace. Another pivotal prayer, central prayer of the Roman Catholic Church to Mary is titled, The Hail Holy Queen. The Hail Holy Queen. I mean, you don't even get out of the title before you have blasphemy. And it says, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus, O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Blasphemy upon blasphemy, heresy upon heresy, idolatry, Upon idolatry, hail, holy queen, mother of mercy. Holy queen? Queen of what? Queen of heaven. That's what they theologically declare her to be. The queen of heaven. Holy queen of heaven. Mother of mercy. Again, Mary is a recipient of mercy, not a giver of mercy. Mary is is the queen of nothing. Our life, our sweetness, our hope. Who is our life? Who is our sweetness? Who is our hope? Who is the bomb of Gilead? Who is the manna from heaven? Jesus! Not Mary. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Well, that is true. Praise God. 
Holy Mary. Again, no, no. To thee do we send up our cries, our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley. Again, that's a mediatorial role, praying to Mary. No, we don't turn up our sighs to Mary. And we don't call upon her to turn then most gracious advocate. Again, she is not a giver of grace. She's a recipient of grace. She is not an advocate. There is one advocate, Jesus. Which is why when you stand before a crowd of tens of thousands of Roman Catholics and you preach the one name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved, they cry out, Mary, 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 Francis, 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 and hold their idols of Mary high. And mind you, they had idols of Pope Francis as well, all sorts and kinds, statues, candles, big pictures with lights going around them. They wore on chains and their idols were on sale on the corners. It was like going back a thousand years in time. The litany of the rosary, pray the rosary. The litany of the rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary says this, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. Doing okay so far. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world. God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, one God, Holy Mary. Now notice the context. Holy God, Holy Jesus, Holy Mary. What has Mary been elevated to? The status of God. Holy Mary, pray for us. Holy Mother of God, Holy Virgin of Virgins, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church, Mother of Divine Grace, Mother Most Pure, Mother Most Chaste, Mother Inviolate, Mother Undefiled, Mother Most Amiable, Mother Admirable, Mother of Good Counsel, Mother of our Creator, Mother of our Savior, Mother of Mercy, Virgin Most Prudent, Virgin Most Venerable, Virgin Most Renowned, Virgin Most Powerful, Virgin Most Merciful, Virgin Most Faithful, Mirror of Justice, Seat of Wisdom, Cause of Our Joy, Spiritual Vessel, Vessel of honor, singular vessel of devotion, mystical rose, tower of David, tower of ivory, house of gold, ark of the covenant, gate of heaven, morning star, health of the sick, refuge of sinners, comfort of the afflicted, help of Christians, queen of angels, queen of the patriarchs, queen of the prophets, queen of the apostles, queen of the martyrs, queen of the confessors, queen of the virgins, queen of all saints, queen conceived without original sin, queen assumed into heaven, queen of the most holy rosary, queen of families, Queen of peace. Antichrist. Infamous abominations. That's the Church of Rome. That's their Mariology. Now there are a great many heresies in the Church of Rome. This one alone, this one alone is sufficient to prove, as Spurgeon was saying, let the let the hue and cry go out for Antichrist and surely the Church of Rome will be taken up and not let loose? Well, just on this, if we're going to bring the Church of Rome and its popes and priests into the courthouse on the charge of Antichrist, we only need bring Mary as evidence and she'll never get loose. Its popes, its priests will never get loose of the charge of Antichrist. Guilty is the verdict. Guilty. And all those that are part of that system of an 
infamous abominations. They're guilty with its popes, its priests. They're guilty. You cannot participate in the infamous abominations. You cannot participate in gross blasphemy. You cannot participate in idolatry and simultaneously be repentant and a believer of the gospel. And yet we have learned men who faithfully preach the gospel until they bump into the Antichrist Roman Catholic Church who suddenly lose their gospel mind and declare that Roman Catholics can participate in these infamous abominations, these mind-bending, soul-torturing, idolatrous declarations, and yet be a true believer in Jesus Christ, born again from above. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said something pivotal. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. And it goes hand in hand. You cannot divorce repentance from believing the gospel. And if you have not repented of infamous abomination, if you've not repented of your participation and part in the most ancient, most successful, soul-damning, antichrist, sacramental system the world has ever known, if you've not repented of your participation and support of Satan's church, the Roman Catholic Church, then you do not believe the gospel. You are not saved. You must repent and believe the gospel. And hear me, if you've come by the grace of God to see the truth of the gospel and believe it, then you see the horror of these infamous infamous abominations and you reject them. You reject them. You can't walk through those doors. You can't sit through that. You hate it as God hates it because you love God. You hate it as God hates it because you love those who are perishing beneath it. And so when men like Al Mohler say counter-reformation things, anti-gospel things, anti-Christ things, like he knows that there are millions of Roman Catholics, despite their participation in the Mass and their faithful attendance in adherence to Roman Catholicism, that have a simple, quote, simple faith and trust in Jesus and are saved. That is blasphemous nonsense. That blasphemes the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a complete repudiation of Jesus' command to repent and believe the gospel. They, know, they have in no way repented and in no way believed the gospel. We must repent of such. We must reject such. And we must call those who declare such to repent. And I did, just so you know, I did for years call Dr. Moeller to repent. I did it privately. I did it face to face, hand in hand. And I did it publicly. And finally, he did repent. And I praise God for that. He repented of that, not sufficiently, and only after much arm bending. But finally, he said that was a mistake, shouldn't have said that. But he did not publicly retract it. 
He did not publicly say, you know what, when I said, when I said, and Dr. Moeller has an audience of millions of evangelical Christians, when I said, I know there are millions of Roman Catholics who, despite their adherence and participation in infamous abominations, have a simple faith and trust in Jesus and are saved, I was wrong and I blew it. I've come to see that. And I want you to know, the Roman Catholic Church is a vast mission field. 1.3 billion souls that need to be saved. Because my statement, guess what? My statement, this is Dr. Mueller speaking, not me. My statement, this is what he should have said. My statement took the wind out of the gospel sails. It took the, the fire out of the evangelist heart. It took the impetus to go, therefore, and reach our Roman Catholic neighbors entirely away. Because Dr. Mueller knows there are millions. And so certainly the Roman Catholics that I know would be counted amongst the millions that Dr. Moeller's talking about, right? It's always the ones you know who, despite the infamous abominations, despite the gross heresies, despite the evident Antichrist doctrine, they're actually saved through a simple faith and trust in Jesus, quote-unquote. You see how damaging that kind of a statement is? And when you profess to repent of it, but you don't publicly retract it after making such a powerful public statement that is so damaging to the Reformation, so damaging to the work of the gospel, that still desperately needs to go on to forever close the doors of Rome's Antichrist church, Satan's church, then you have stopped far short of repentance. Dr. Moeller has stopped far short of repentance. And of course, sadly, he's gone on to embrace the whole woke social justice movement as well. And so there are a great many other issues there. Pastor John MacArthur says this. He did not mince words. He was not mealy-mouthed. He has the same heart that Charles Spurgeon has, a reformer's heart. He said, in the long war on the truth, the most formidable, relentless, and deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. It is an apostate, corrupt, heretical, false Christianity. It is a front for the kingdom of Satan. A front for the kingdom of Satan. Praise God for Pastor MacArthur's faithfulness. And if you want a sermon on popery, a sermon on the Pope and popes, look up. Pope, John MacArthur's sermon, probably the best sermon ever preached, or certainly one of them, on that particular aspect of Roman Catholic Antichrist heresy. Gospel compromise, brothers and sisters, is rampant even in conservative biblical reform, so-called reform circles. There's a growing number of men, men who should know better, who say people can be Catholic and genuine believers at the same time. We have professing Reformed men in vital positions of influence. Men like Doug Wilson, with growing influence in the G3 conference, one of, if not the largest conservative evangelical conference in America. Reformed men, supposed Reformed men in vital positions of influence, who are declaring that they personally know Catholics or are genuinely saved, that genuinely know and love Jesus. That is dangerous teaching. It defies both logic and the gospel. No man or woman can believe the heresy of the Roman Catholic Church contained in their catechism and simultaneously believe the gospel. The two are antithetical. There is no peace between them. 
Belief in the one negates belief in the other. They are mutually exclusive beliefs. One is of Christ. One is anti-Christ. Unless Catholics repent of Catholicism's false Christ and false gospel and believe on the true Christ and the true gospel of Scripture, they do not know or love Jesus. They are not believers and they are not saved. And that is not hard-hearted speech. That is love speech. That is not hate speech. That is love for the perishing sinner. That is standing upon the authority of Scripture, saying you must actually do what Jesus said. Repent of that which is opposed to Christ and opposed to His gospel and believe the gospel to be saved by the gospel. Our evangelistic task is to show our Catholic neighbors from the Scriptures that they must repent of Catholicism's many blatant heresies and believe upon the true Christ and His true gospel for salvation. No man or woman is saved unless they actually repent of their gospel-denying heresy and actually believe the gospel. Just as with the Church of the Latter-day Saints and the Jehovah's Witnesses and every other cult and false religion, and that's what the Roman Catholic Church is, a cult. Repentance will a basic necessity include departing from and denouncing the Roman Catholic Church and its gross idolatry. That's not some extraordinary repentance. That's not some extra demand upon them. It's an essential repentance empowered by the regeneration, illumination, and indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and denoted by the promise of God, such were some of you. Do we not recall that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 warns us that many are deceived, thinking they are saved and they're not, thinking they're going to inherit the kingdom of God and they're going to be in hell with the devil himself? And in that list of those who are deceived is idolatry, idolaters, men and women who profess to be followers of Christ, but are still idolaters. This was written to the Corinthian church. They're professing to be followers of Christ, Christians, part of the church of Jesus Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul is inspired of the Holy Spirit to write to them and warn them in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, do you not know that you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither idolaters. But the good news, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Right here, praise God, such were some of you. We have many former Roman Catholics. By the grace of God, we're brought to repentance and faith in the true Christ and His true gospel. Such were some of you. How tragic. When you came to Christ, you should have been baptized. Because in the Church of Rome, you were not baptized. A heretic sprinkling an infant with water is not baptism. Baptism is immersion. Baptism is a repentant man or woman confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And being baptized is a confession they have died with Christ and been resurrected to newness of life in Christ who conquered sin and Satan and death on their behalf. Baptism is not and never will be a heretical priest sprinkling water on an unregenerate, unrepentant, unbelieving baby. 
And so when you come to Christ out of the church of Rome, you get baptized as a believer, as a new Christian, as an expression of your faith and obedience to Christ your Lord. And that's exactly what has happened here on at least several occasions with former Roman Catholics. And God willing will happen many, many times yet in future years. That's exactly what happens in John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church, when a man or woman comes out of the church of Rome repenting of idolatry and infamous abominations, antichrist doctrine, and another gospel, and believing upon Christ and his true gospel, they get baptized. And the whole church celebrates. Just like if someone came out of Islam, or someone came out of Jehovah's Witness, or someone came out of Mormonism. False God, false gospel. False Jesus, false gospel. You come out of that, you have gotten saved, so now you get baptized. In contrast, if you are a Roman Catholic who shows up in Doug Wilson's church in Moscow, Idaho, you'll be welcomed in as a believer. You will not be baptized. They will receive you as a baptized brother and sister in Christ. In fact, Doug Wilson has declared all baptized Roman Catholics, which by the way, none of them were baptized, An unholy priest sprinkling unholy water on an unholy baby is not baptism. But Doug Wilson has declared them all, every Roman Catholic that's been baptized, to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when they come to his church, it's merely a transfer of membership. If you can transfer membership from the Church of Rome to a supposed Reformed church or evangelical church, that church is not a church. And any man who says you can do that, any man who says every every Roman Catholic that's baptized is my brother and sister in Christ, any man who says G.K. Chesterton, an ardent apologist for and defender of Roman Catholic heresy, is my brother in Christ, despite his commitment to Roman Catholic heresy. That man, Doug Wilson, is not my brother in Christ because he does not believe the gospel. He's become enamored with Rome or maybe always was enamored with Rome like his other hero, C.S. Lewis, who was not technically Roman Catholic but really liked Roman Catholicism and believed in the mass and its transubstantiation, the central heresy of Rome. And these two men are Doug Wilson's heroes. And yet Doug Wilson is rising, not just in the Reformed ranks, but the Evangelical ranks, rising in influence. A counter-reformation is going on in the Evangelical, Reformed, Biblical church in America. And Doug Wilson is one of the men at the helm of it. Doug Wilson has a profound disagreement with Charles Spurgeon and John MacArthur. He would oppose their strong, clear, dogmatic, biblical statements. Pray Doug Wilson repents and believes the gospel and sits down and lets another man who actually believes the gospel and is qualified to preach it stand up in his place. Our certain confidence 
is that all whom the Lord is calling to himself will hear the word of God, will repent of sin and heresy, will confess Jesus Christ is Lord, and will become new creatures in Christ. It's shocking that professing Reformed men would negate the sovereign outworking of the omnipotent grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in regenerating dead Catholic souls, providing Catholics with the gift of repentance of sin, including heresy and unbelief, and providing Catholics the gift of saving faith, meaning they actually comprehend the gospel, believe the gospel, and forsake that which is contrary to the gospel. Keep it clear. Cut it straight. Unless men repent and believe the gospel, they are not believers, and they are not saved. I was asked recently by another pastor, you know, what makes you different from a man who would compromise in the way that Doug Wilson is? I'm too much of a coward. I fear God entirely too much to think that I've got a better way, to think that I can broaden out the narrow path, to think that I can say, well, repentance, not really required. Believing the actual gospel, not entirely necessary. You can actually have a simple faith and trust in Jesus and still be saved despite your adherence and participation in infamous abominations. You can actually be born again from above, a brother and sister in Christ, despite your adherence and defense of, as an apologist, one of Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church's most famous apologist in all of the history of the Antichrist Church of Rome, G.K. Chesterton, despite your defense Ardent declaration of Rome's heresies, you are my brother in Christ. That's madness. That's audacious. And when you couch it in hyper-intellectual terminology, when you use really big words, and you mock anyone who would dare say you're wrong, kind of laugh at them, mock them as being foolish simpletons, you know, the foolish simpletons who believe that you must repent and believe the gospel. Can you believe those guys? In Moscow, Idaho, as a response to COVID mandates, Doug Wilson led his church out to do a hymn sing with Roman Catholics in the public square. And when some Christians said, hey, you shouldn't be doing that with Roman Catholics, they mocked them. You can still see it. The video is up. The after-event video of the movers and shakers in the Moscow church in Idaho. They mocked the idea that there would be any scrutiny, any pushback on them uniting with Roman Catholics to sing hymns. What are you saying to the Roman Catholics when you unite with them to sing hymns? They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you can worship with them and they can worship with you, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're undermining the gospel they desperately need. You are acting as a counter-reformer. What does the Word of God say? It says, quite simply, repent and believe the gospel. I'm... Too stupid to get creative, to find some big words out of a dictionary, to try to defend, departing from, repent, and believe the gospel. May the Lord protect His church and 1.3 billion Roman Catholic souls from the counter-reformation that many Reformed men are actively carrying out from within the Reformed circles. 
May the Lord grant His church gospel clarity and true Christian charity to declare it, define it, and defend it for Christ's glory in the souls of men. May God grant these men that contradict the Word of God boldly, may He grant them repentance and the beginning of knowledge, the fear of God. That they would bring their vast intellects and their vast vocabularies beneath the simple truth of Scripture. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15. That they would bring their vast intellect and vast vocabulary beneath Jesus Christ's lordship. And hold fast to repent and believe the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, Then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. If I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. I'm happy to please men. If pleasing Christ pleases them, great. I'm also happy to displease men. If pleasing Christ displeases them, great. I know what side you're on. Ultimately, I only care about pleasing Christ. I say that as a pastor in the local church. I say that as an evangelist in the community. I say that as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a Christian. Our only concern is to please Christ. If it pleases everyone else, great, but it won't. We must be single-minded men and women who aim to please Christ. Defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. Standing with the Apostle Paul, marveling that anyone would turn away from him who called them in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. And you say, Pastor Chuck, you know, this is the church of Galatia he was in. You know, it, was a, it was a true church. It was. It was a true church with the true gospel. And then they turned away from Christ. They turned away from his gospel. And so Paul shows up in Galatia with his epistle, essentially kicking the door in with the strongest correction possible. He pronounces a double anathema upon anyone, anyone, anyone who would dare I don't care how intellectual you sound. I don't care what vocabulary you use. I don't care what mockery you employ. I don't care whether you are an angel from heaven, an apostle, capital A or little a. I don't care how many letters are before or after your name. If anyone brings another gospel, anyone, even I, Paul says, even I, Let the anathema be upon them. Let them be damned. Let them be cursed. 
For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would be a bond, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. The gospel, dear saints, is the hill to die on. It is the hill to die on. It is the hill to defend. To give no ground, not a foot, not an inch. We desperately need gospel clarity. We desperately need to hold fast to the simplicity of the word of God. Repent and believe the gospel. Being the necessary message, the essential message, and the essential actions to evidence that the grace of God has come upon a soul. To illumine their blind eyes. To see God in all His holiness. To see their own sin in all its sinfulness. And to learn the beginning of knowledge, the fear of God. And thus repent of their infamous abominations. Whether they be Jehovah's Witness infamous abominations. Whether they be Mormon infamous abominations. Whether they be Islamic infamous abominations. Hindu infamous abominations. Whatever it is that is not of Christ, not of Scripture, contrary to Christ and His gospel, they must repent of it and believe. Repent, change of heart, change of mind, change of direction, and believe, adhere to the true Christ and the true gospel. You cannot be a Mormon and be a Christian. You must repent of the false Christ that is the brother of Lucifer, who did not die and conquer sin and death Rise on the third day so that you could become a child of God, but rather died um, so you could become a God. Ooh, you need to repent of that, Jesus, and that false gospel. As a Jehovah's Witness, you must repent of being a Jehovah's Witness. You cannot be a Jehovah's Witness and a Christian. You must repent of your false Christ, who is the archangel Michael. Come to the true Christ. Confess him as Lord, fully God, fully man, second person of the Trinity, crucified, they deny the crucifixion, buried, resurrected on the third day. Believe this, Romans 10, 9, and you are saved. You don't believe it, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. The people who like to declare these people Christians, they like to do it with highfalutin, intellectual-sounding arguments, but it's really soft-headed and soft-hearted, but ultimately it's hard-hearted because there's no true love there. True love is represented in Mark 1, 15, repent and believe the gospel. For our Islamic friends, right? They have a false Jesus. Their Jesus, they revere. They revere Him. Their Jesus, they say, is the Jesus of the Bible. What's the problem with their Jesus? He's a prophet, but He's not God. What's the problem with their Jesus? He was not crucified. He did not die. He was not resurrected on the third day. Their Jesus cannot save you. They have a false Christ and a false gospel. They must repent of their Islam. You cannot be a Muslim and a Christian too. You cannot be a Muslim and saved too. How about Jews? Some, some professing Christians even want to wrap their arms around Jews and say Jews can be saved too. You know, they've responded to the light that they have. They've done the best they can do to serve Yahweh, to love Yahweh, but they have a genuine faith in Yahweh. No, they don't. They hate him. Jesus said, look, if you deny me, you've denied the Father. And if you deny Jesus, you hate Jesus. There's no middle ground. You either love him or you hate him. He said, you're either with me or you're against me. If you do not gather with me, you scatter abroad. 
There's no middle ground for Jesus. A simple knob, claiming his name, but denying his person, who he actually is. Claiming his gospel, but denying the reality of the gospel, what it actually is. That doesn't save you. That only damns you. That only makes you a liar on top of an idolater. And so by the grace of God, saints, we hold fast to the simplicity of the gospel, to the simplicity of Scripture, to the Lordship of Christ. We get ourselves, by the grace of God, beneath Christ and His command to repent and believe the gospel, and we carry that command to the world. As He commanded, after He died for sinners, rose again, conquering sin and death, before He ascended, He commanded that the church go to all the world and preach repentance. And that's what we preach, repentance. You must repent of whatever you believe that is contrary to God and His gospel and come to the true God and the true gospel. And if you won't, you are not saved. Not saved from the wrath to come. The wrath to come for idolaters. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They must repent or they will have their part in the lake of fire, their part, their just part, what they deserve, what they have merited as idolaters. What does the Catechism of the Catholic Church say about Mary? It says this regarding Mary's so-called saving office, quote, paragraph 969 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, Mediatrix. This is a denial, saints, and a blasphemy of Christ. Christ alone is our advocate and mediator. Christ alone is sent, has sent the Spirit alone to be our helper. Mary is none of these things, nor is she the Queen of Heaven. As the Catechism declares in paragraph 966, ascribing to Mary the salvific titles, offices, and works of God are gross idolatry, bowing before a statue of Mary and or praying to her as advocate, helper, benefactrix, and mediatrix is idolatry. And Exodus 20 verses 4 through 5 says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. That's the word of God. You might have thought earlier, Pastor, maybe you're being a little too harsh there, saying Roman Catholics actually hate God. Saints, they do. That's not my authority. It's not my opinion. That's the word of God. That's the law of God. And they need to know it. And it's my privilege to let them know it out of love for them. Just yesterday and the day before, on the streets, where Roman Catholics are faithfully going, trying to earn their salvation working for their salvation, but going to uphold the value of the unborn child and oppose their abortion, they gather there in far more numbers than supposed Protestant, Evangelical, Reformed Christians. They put us to shame in that. Why do they go there? Because they actually believe the part of the Bible, the part of the law 
Just up a few verses, verse 13 in Exodus 20, you shall not murder. They believe that. They just don't believe the part that says, you shall know the God before me. In fact, I try to be faithful to inform them, to get them thinking. Why is it that the Roman Catholic Church has removed, you shall not make any graven images nor bow down to them from the Ten Commandments, because they have. Why did they remove that? And why did they then split the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet, into two different commandments? Why are they suppressing the truth? It's because from the front door to the back door of the Roman Catholic Church, it's idolatry beginning to end. Oh, my dear Catholic friends, you must repent. Had a loving conversation with them on Friday. Preached to them lovingly on Saturday. And will continue to. But where are my brother pastors? Where are they standing for the life of the unborn? Being put to shame? And where are their churches being put to shame by the Antichrist Church of Rome that actually believes you should not murder and refusing to go to the Church of Rome and those dying in it to plead with them that they might repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believing His gospel that they might be saved. The evangelical, so-called Protestant, so-called Reformed Church is AWOL, absent without leave. UA, unauthorized absence. They've lost the Great Commission fire. They've lost gospel clarity. They've cried peace, peace, where there is no peace. Primarily out of self-love. We wouldn't want to have a conflict with anyone. It's so shameful for these Reformed men to celebrate what they're about to celebrate in these coming weeks, what they're about to celebrate on October 31st. They'll stand up and preach about the Reformers and the Reformation and rah, 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 while they are anti-Reformers. And while they'll have nothing to do with the men who do the same works, who carry out the same ministry as the Reformers did, preaching the gospel publicly, calling Catholics to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. When they celebrate in these coming weeks the Reformation, they do it to their own shame as hypocrites. May God grant them repentance. It's part of why I'm preaching this message. For your edification and theirs as we send it out beyond these walls. We need revival, saints. We need revival so that 504 years from now, should Christ tarry, I can't imagine what the world will be like then, there won't be 1.3 billion Roman Catholics on their way to hell. We can celebrate the success of the Reformation that shut the doors of Satan's church forever. We need to preach and teach with clarity and conviction the simple truth of the Scriptures. Repent and believe the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for the clarity of our Lord and Savior. Grant that we would not lose sight of that, that we would be defenders of it, declarers of it, and faithful ministers of it, Lord. Loving our neighbors with action and truth. Loving our Lord, our Savior, our King, our God with action and truth. Calling all men everywhere out of whatever cult, false religion they're bound up in. Not making peace where there can be no peace, but calling them to repent and believe the gospel that they might be saved. May your Spirit empower this. May the fruit of the Spirit, love, compel us. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.